This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, episode 11. Get ready for our next athlete. This is Courtney Burchard. You might know her as Courtney Kessel, women's national team hockey player. That's her background. And she's now a coach. How did she transition from high performance, the top level of women's hockey, and get into coaching? What was that like? Was there a aha moment? Was it easy? Was it tough? Also, where did she come from? Her background is incredible in sport and also all sorts of different sports. Here from Courtney Burchard Kessel, I'm so excited to dive into this interview. We believe in natural products for ourselves and our family. That's right, I'm an essential oil addict. Paul, on the other hand, is a closet oil user. All joking aside, essential oils have allowed a higher level of health in our home. From bug repellent and cleaning to wound care, and with five kids in four different schools, flu prevention. doTERRA essential oils are the only oils we use due to the highest quality and worldwide ethical sourcing. I have pretty high standards, as most of you know. My oils need to be consistent and work. For information on DIY recipes, go to mydoterra.com slash Kari Schneider. That's mydoterra.com slash Kari Schneider. And if you want me to come teach a wellness class for you, reach out to me at ks at empowerconditioning.com. That's ks at empowerconditioning.com. All righty. I am thrilled to bring you some big, big, big news for 2019. It is the 1230 challenge. What am I even talking about? 1230 challenge. Kari, please explain. Well, it's big news for us anyway. 1230 challenge is 12 as in 12 months of the year and 30 as in 30 day challenges. Ah, Yeah. So we are going to do 12 30-day challenges throughout 2019, and it started as the most innocent thing, like, hey, let's do a 30-day challenge in January. And then, you know, of course, my wheels were turning, and I had to keep going with that. Surprise, surprise. So, how is it going to work? Well, you need to join our community so you can find out what the challenges are each month, because we're not going to tell you what they all are now. No siree, Bob, no. (laughs) We are going to keep it a secret so that each month, and around the 20th of each month, we'll be telling you what's coming up for the following months. You get about 10 days to get yourself ready for that next challenge. Keep in mind, you can do all 12 of them with us, or you can do just one um, or two or whatever, opt in, opt out, whatever you choose, that's okay. And uh, they'll all stretch you and grow you. So Kari, people need to know, what is the first challenge going to be? Well, the first one is no meat. So we aren't going to have any meat. And the reason this came about is because we wanted to stretch and grow ourselves in our ability to choose recipes that were meat-free and be interesting and be tasty and be good for the family and all that good stuff. So that's the first one. And the ones coming up are amazing. Okay, so after I've stuffed myself with turkey over the holidays, we're shutting down the meat for the first month, but we've got all kinds of cool challenges and all areas of our life, really. This isn't just about eliminating food or something like that. We're going to be making Adding the environment things. better. We're going to be making our lives better, communication yep. and Connection everything. with relationships and other people. So every challenge is unique. It's seasonal. There's reasons why we've chosen them. 
Okay, so Kari, the most important thing, how do people join our community and follow along in the challenges and get our daily updates and find out what's happening? So all we want is people to have the support by doing it with us. And what you can do is email Paul at pd at empowerconditioning.com to opt in, or you can look for us on our Facebook community, Empowered Top Performers. And it's a private group, so you're gonna have to request admission. And you can join our community, and it's there's no catch. It's free, there's nothing we want from anyone. It's just if you want to have support in trying challenges in 2019, then we are with you because we are doing it to up-level our lives. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Empowered Athlete Podcast. Joining us today is one of Canada's hockey greats. We've got Courtney Burchard Kessel joining us. And Kari, you had the chance to work with Courtney a little bit when she was with the national team, but she is really known now as a coach in the hockey world. And we're going to be talking about her playing career, her coaching career, the transition, and everything in between. Courtney, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so happy to have you on. Um, take us back. You, you've been playing hockey for a really long time, and I know now it's a different story, but you played for a really long time. What, what uh, got you started, and what did that look like? Yeah, I kind of grew up in a hockey family. So uh, when I was about seven, we were playing a road hockey game at Christmas, and one of my uncles was like to my mom, you got to get her in hockey. So the, the winner came around and there I was signed up, seven years old, uh, played Pike in Malton and couldn't stop. But Had, uh, you, had you skated before seven years old though? Um, to be honest, I'm sure I did some, you know, like Friday night open ice stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just in my skate. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there I was, but I couldn't stop. So, but things got better. <laughs> You're slamming into the boards, basically. <laughs> yeah, just you know, like uh, the Mighty Ducks guy that can't stop. So. That's, where the that's where the equipment really helps. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so I played um, Pike there in Bolton, and then I went on to the girls' side um, for two years, and then I went to guys' hockey. And uh, Do you want me to tell you my whole... So well, so at that time, when you when you went over to guys hockey, that's because there wasn't enough available for girls hockey at the time? Or why did you switch over to guys hockey? Because you were better than what was available? What was the, the catalyst there? Um, I'm not really sure. I was a pretty physical player. So my mom thought that I could, you know, manage playing on the boys side and I think, yeah, back then it, the thought was, well, if you play boys hockey, you're going to be a better hockey player. And yeah. like you said, you know, I don't think the girls game was where it's at to this day. Yeah, yeah. You just didn't have as much opportunity for development. And there probably weren't enough girl players at the time either. Yeah, I, I think like it's grown tremendously, obviously, yeah. since I was seven. So, And how, 
how old were you then when you went to the boys? I was nine, I believe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So take us on. Yeah. So then I joined the Mississauga Braves um, and I met some of my best friends playing boys hockey. And I actually, one year, uh, the Mississauga Chiefs asked me to play girls hockey. So I played for two teams. I played for the Mississauga Chiefs and the Mississauga Braves. And um, I also played competitive soccer. So my schedule was pretty heavy, but enjoying holy cow and that's (laughs) so much travel too like not only the not only the equipment the fees I mean we're we're coming from having our kids in competitive sport and only one of them's in hockey right now but um but between the competitive traveling like holy cow yeah and actually my dad drives truck so he's on the road quite a bit so me, my mom, and my sister, we spent a lot of time together in the car and traveling around from rink to rink and soccer field to soccer field, but um, I was enjoying it. I mean, it was it was great, um, so I can't complain, and, and so then I played boys hockey for a bunch of years up until I, was, I went, went to grade nine, and then I made the transition back to the girls' side, and I played for the Toronto Arrows, so I think okay. the transition was just uh, the size, you know... <laughs> At the end of the year, the boys are the same size as you. And by the time September comes around, they're six feet tall now. So my mom is yeah. like, okay, I think it's time, time to change. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's funny because I'm actually a pretty, I'm tall. I'm five, almost 5'10 now, but I didn't grow until I was in grade 12. So in grade nine, I, my nickname was Shorty. Oh, wow. yeah. So <laughs> looking at those boys, my mom was like, it's time. You haven't grown an inch. So <laughs> we're going to yeah. go back to the girl's side. Did you, did you love all sports? I know in high school you were playing hockey, soccer. Uh, yeah, I did. I played every, You're doing everything. I did everything. I played badminton, flag football, volleyball, everything. Any sport did you, that was there, I played it. And were you were you okay in school too, academically, or was yeah, it? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spent my lunches doing homework, and sometimes my badminton practice were at six in the morning, so I'd be up early get school do my classes do my homework um at lunch and then if I didn't have anything right after school I would get home right away do my homework or I'd be doing my homework in the car but uh definitely school was still a priority for my mom do do you find like I I notice with a lot of university athletes that I work with that they almost perform better when they are in season in school versus when the season ends simply because they they're so structured and they know they have to um watch every bit of time that they have in order to study that they end up becoming a little uh, a little lost when the season's done and they're not do you think that part of like your busyness helped you yeah also- definitely like I know even now like when I'm when I'm coaching the younger ages it's like you have to prioritize your time and that was what my mom always said to me, you know, you have to prioritize your time, whether you're playing with your friends or, or doing your sports at school or outside school, but you know, you have to prioritize and get your homework done. And so, yeah, just like you're saying, I think, you know, especially when I was in university, when I, when the hockey season was done, you kind of just lag on your, on your schoolwork because you have so much time, so you don't know what to do with it. And then you're just cramming because you didn't, you didn't, you've never had that time. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what. Yeah. It's it's just 
and, and the other side of things though too, and this is what we talk with a lot of different athletes on is that they're not really, um, there are not a lot of other hobbies or social outlets or things like that because their whole, for most athletes, their whole identity or their whole focus is tied up with their team or their sport or then maybe with school, but then there's not, you know, some other hobby or some other um, distraction that, because there was never time for it, like yeah, this other totally. distractions that they might learn about themselves. Oh, I really like to um I don't know do photography or you know who knows what yeah there's just no time for it right right to even get to know some of the other things that you might like in in the world yeah exactly like my sister she's so crafty and I feel like there has to be some craft in me (laughs) but I just can't find it (laughs) it's probably because I didn't have time you know (laughs) yeah you just didn't like find the interest or develop those things exactly Nice. Okay. So take us on. So you were around this time you're in high school and what were, I mean, the opportunities for women's hockey at that point must've been relatively limited. Um, what was it like for you? Yeah, I think, um, I found out about Ontario, like the Ontario team and the Ontario hockey side of things in grade 10. And then, um, and then university um, opportunities started to blossom and it was like, oh, well, I can go to the States and I can go to school for free. So I, I started studying for the SAT and, but I didn't go on my visits until I was in grade 12, which nowadays kids is are late. Yeah. They, they've committed, they committed it in grade 11. Typically. Oh, grade, grade nine now. And it's That's like, crazy. how are you committing? Like I knew I, you know, so I, anyway, I went through my my high school my four years and my goal was you know study for that SAT pass that SAT and then hopefully the opportunity will present itself and so I went to um, visit a few schools and I just fell in love with University of New Hampshire but I'm in grade 12 and I'm I'm like mom I'm gonna be a phys ed teacher so I I know that they have my course and rink is awesome and and so I just don't understand how kids these days choose their NCAA schools in grade nine when they no passed no there's no there's no way like our our oldest is um she's playing soccer at a Canadian university but she's she's in school first year university and doesn't know what she wants to do yeah so you know like how how do you know when you're 15 or 14 years old so yeah, yeah, I mean, some some do, but it's so rare. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, you know, we see people, you know, that are just so unhappy when they do get there. It's like, well, yeah. I think it's because you committed so early. Yeah. And that, and, that and early commitment also becomes their defining experience. The kids in some way feel locked to that path. In grade nine, they've decided yep. they're a hockey player and, you know, they might try another sport or yeah. something non-sporting that appeals to them but can't pursue it in a way that really pulls out if it's something for them because they've committed to that hockey path so young yeah and it's funny you you say that because I well I was uh really high in soccer and I had some national tryouts for soccer when I was I think when I was in grade 10 I started and I had all these opportunities for hockey and I had all these opportunities for soccer and it and I didn't decide until after my grade 11 year that okay you know what I'm gonna go play hockey 
Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, you know, they don't have these opportunities and I'm really lucky that I, that I stuck to it and I played both sports because I think that like they talk about today, growing the full athlete. And I really think that that developed me into one of the, the best hockey players by being an athlete. Yeah, multi-sport. Exactly. Oh, for sure. Well, that, that's one of the things in the U18 um, women's national team camps is, is this diversity of abilities and sports and things like that. And what we noticed over the years, I mean, I haven't, I haven't worked with Hockey Canada for a few years, but um, when I was working with them, we were noticing that over the years, the new players coming in each year would have less and less and less ability in yeah. other movement patterns, other sports, other, you know, any of that, because they're just specializing, specializing, or the, the parents you know, figure more is better. And so they do more of that one sport or, you know, and, and then on the other side of things, maybe the parents are acting a bit out of fear when they agree to have their kid commit in grade nine or grade 10, because they're worried that, well, if we, if we don't commit, then we might lose that opportunity or, you know, what if kind of thing. Yeah. And I think the scheduling these days is crazy for sports like I remember I used to practice twice a week and then I'd play on the weekend but now people are playing game you know you're, they're playing hockey all year round or yeah they pick the team in April and then they're playing exhibition games like yeah. what, what are you playing exhibition games for and as a coach when I first stepped into the like into the minor league I was like what why are we doing this well because everyone else is doing this I'm like well, yeah who cares yeah no we are not doing this I was just gonna ask your opinion on that as a coach now because because it's like this more is better mentality is insane and and at the same time like you understand being at a national level that you know how much it takes to get there but most of these kids they're not at that level yet they're yeah. they're still at a developmental level, so more isn't going to get them there, but quality is going to get them there. Right. And and it's a different it's a different way of looking at it. But then then you've got that fear again of well, but I see that team doing it or that team doing it. So if we're not doing it, we're going to be behind. And that's a mentality that that comes from you know feeling like you're you're behind somebody else or you're not doing well enough or whatever yeah and that that fight as a coach at well at the minor level it happens with the parents not yes. the fight but the you know the yeah the, the conflict yeah and yeah. it's just but I I think for me it, it's a little bit easier to deflect that because they're like oh well she's been you've been it, there right yeah so yeah I, and I find that like parents are very respectful of that and all I have to say is, like, listen, this, I'm telling you, we don't need to be playing 100 games. Or we yeah. don't need to be practicing four times a week. Like, yeah. relax. The pro- <laughs> it's a process. It's, re- it's relieving for them. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. Like, and they're like. It's relieving for us to hear you say that because I wish more coaches were saying that. Yeah. And it, it was happening even at the beginning of this year. Like, we hadn't played in five tournaments before the end of September. And yeah. I'm like, well, look, look, we already have two injuries. Like if we were in a tournament this weekend, we'd be playing with two lines and then we'd be coming out with one line. 
because yes. more players would be getting injured. And then for sure. And then they Guaranteed. kind of sit back and they're like, oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And now we're finally into our league games and, and things are going and we have a full roster. And I think they're like, you know, maybe you were right. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe I was. <laughs> so, do, you, do you think some of the parents, though, like they're living vicariously through their kids and that's why they're so intense on this? Like, do you think that's what it is for some of them or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm not a parent yet, but I can relate. My mom, she was very high pressure on me to, to just, you you want your kid to be the best and to excel and you see all these opportunities and you, you want them to do the best. Like no parent yeah. doesn't. So I think that kind of takes over and they, they get lost in chasing the dream with their kids. So let's, um, before we go into the, the parenting and all the good stuff that way, well, let's go back again where, so you, you, we're committed to university. You're excited about that. Um, what was that whole transition like for you? What did that mean for you at that time? Um, so I had to, I moved off and I was terrified because I'm a, I'm a homebody and I spent so many hours with my mom traveling around from rank to rank. And so the, that adjustment was really hard. I was homesick for sure. Oh. Um, crying and <laughs> just you know missing home because it's so different and you're like now you're in university you're taking university classes some of these girls on your team are four years old than you and they're just at a they're at another place in their life and you're just a little freshman and it's all scary yeah. and you just want to go home and you just want to play on your junior hockey team again and have your junior hockey coach back because he's nicer and your university <laughs> coach doesn't care about you. Yeah, so it was definitely it was a battle. And uh, actually, my freshman year, I almost quit hockey. Oh, yeah, I was my mom was looking up schools for me to go play soccer. And it's crazy. In December, I was really what I was. was I was gonna what quit. was the hardest part? What was the hardest part for you in that that made it the worst um, experience for you? Well, the coaches at university, they're not your friends. Mm -hmm. They're not there to, you know, ask you how, like, I mean, they do ask you how your day was, but it's different. You like, and especially like the Toronto Arrows, they, they have great coaching. And it's like, he was like another dad to me. He would ask mm -hmm. me about my day. He cared about me. He, you, you could know, tell. It, there was just that constant communication where you get to university and, and there's none. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's scary too. And you're alone, right? And you can't be like, hey, mom, can you call the coach? Like now it's, it's on you. Mm -hmm. So that's a big adjustment too. Did you, do you find that true talking to other players played NCAA schools that that's a consistent environment or was it more specific to the Wildcats um, a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both like I definitely think it was that's just the way my coach ran his team but I know there's others out there and it but it's not everyone mm -hmm. so and I, I do think it's getting better because there's more women coaching and women are just better at doing that kind of thing and it's just more relatable you're both women so it's easy mm -hmm. um so I think it's getting better but I definitely do think it's still out there mm -hmm. um but yeah so it was quite the adjustment and come December I was you know ready to quit and then I made the under 22 national team and I was going to Germany at the end of 
end of the month. So that kind of switched my switch. So that was the that was the thing. That was the catalyst that kept you kept you in it because you knew you needed that that high competitive level of university to keep you where you needed to be for the U22s. Yeah, and also like I really loved my my major. Like my professor was amazing. I I like I said I knew I wanted to be a gym teacher and so I loved I loved my courses. I loved the people in my in my classes. So that was a huge thing too. Like I would always tell my mom, but I don't want to leave because I really love my major and <laughs> I love my professor and like, and that's a big thing. Like this yeah. is what you're going to do for the rest of your life, you know? So, or so you think at the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And so okay. that was another tie too, to keep me there. But at the end of the day, so- it was the call from the under 22 team. And then what did that, uh, was that your first experience with Hockey Canada? Yeah, that was the first time I made the team because there wasn't U18 when I, I was too old. Yeah. Um, so that was my first one. Yeah, I'd been to camp, but then I went to the SO Cup, I guess it's called now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and was that a huge eye opener for you? What was that, that what, was the, what were the differences between playing with, the U22 team versus versus NCAA like what what did it look like for you yeah I mean the hockey's amazing and then I have you know Shannon Zabados Megan Augusta yeah um, they were (laughs) you know they were still around and yeah it was like wow this is this is crazy but I actually went in with an injury and that was like the coach was like like hey you you know you can't play with your injury and I was just like crying, like, why not? I can tough it out and I can do yeah. that. But at the end of the day, obviously they made the right, the right call by uh, sitting. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was amazing. You know, first time to be in Europe and away again from my family and, and join all these amazing hockey players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> and take us further from there. What, what happened after that? So I went back to school. Uh, we actually went to the Frozen Four that year, my freshman year, and we ended up losing in the semis. But at the end of it, I was just not having it. I still wanted to quit hockey, and I just wasn't enjoying it. But of Do you course, think you were depressed at that time? Yeah, I guess so. Now that I think back to it I was definitely not happy yeah (laughs) um but you know you you go through the summer and you're like okay it's a new year it's a fresh start and things definitely did get better Um, yeah and I think the culture in the room was better um, with the team so that always helped I think that that's half the battle in women's hockey is the culture that's in that change room and if the girls get along then it makes your experience so much different. So sophomore year was good. Um, We weren't great. We had a short bench. Then my junior year, it was going really well. Um, I was up for top 10 Patty Kaz, and then I got hit and fractured my L3, L4 transverse process in my back, and that was the end of my season, and that was in February. 
Ah. Uh, yeah, right before playoff. And so how did how did you yeah, deal, you with, deal that? with that? <laughs> that was it was really tough. Um, I couldn't. Could you- I could barely walk for two weeks, so I was on like really high meds. And my boyfriend at the time is now my husband, so he would carry me, you know, to the bathroom and help me. And I just basically <laughs> laid in bed for two weeks because I was in so much pain. Yeah. And I don't I don't even remember two weeks of my life. Like I yeah. was and uh then yeah, it was it was a slow recovery, but just doctor's appointments and tons and tons of physio and started, you know, just walking in the pool. Um and then transitioned to the bike and I remember getting on the bike for my first time and I tried to just do like a one minute sprint and got off the bike, sat in front of it, started crying. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, there's no way I'm going to get back. There's no way, like. Because it just felt so bad. It was just, yeah, like, I was just in so much pain. Like, it was, you know, obviously, when you hurt your back, everything's so tight, like your hips. And yeah. Just, and I was just, like, d- defeated, kind of, you know. Like, I can't. There's no way. I so. so, what, uh. I know throughout my career, anytime I had an, an, a serious injury or a setback, I was focused on my career. I was loving it. Uh, you know, so I was driven to get back and get back to my best again. But, you know, throughout this conversation already, you've said how you've kind of wavered with hockey, how you're entertaining thoughts of quitting. Mm-hmm. What, what pulled you through a massive injury like that? Because in my mind, if if you're on the fence about playing at times and then something like that injury happens, how do you get the drive to get back? Because coming back from an injury when you're completely motivated and fired up can be so hard. But for you to do it with the kind of background that you had the years prior, what was your focus mentally on? What got you through? Um, I think like one of the biggest things about me is that I'm like I'm a huge team player. Like and I I knew that the team wanted me to be back and and that they needed me to be back to to hopefully push to get to the frozen four and we were in playoffs um and we were going to the the top eight against um minnesota duluth and so my my thought process was like i can play i can play kind of thing so i kept pushing and pushing and pushing and my mom calls me and she's like, you're not playing, are you? Like, because there's no chance that I should have been playing. It was like, not. I think it maybe was not even a month after I broke my back. And she's like, I swear to God, like, I'll fly to Minnesota Duluth to make sure you don't get on that ice. Like, <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, no, I'm not playing. But if we win and we go to the Frozen Four, like, I'm playing. Nothing's stopping me. So I really yeah. think that that's what drove me to to push through all that pain and and uh, just to move forward with my the progress of my physio and stuff. And I I think I really think it was my team. I just wanted to be better for my team. I wanted to be there for my team to help them succeed. It, it's that that's that thing that um, I think a lot of players don't realize when they're in it is such a large driving factor is being a part of something that's larger than yourself. Yeah. And especially when you transition to national team, 
then all of a sudden the thing that's larger than yourself isn't isn't just representing your team or your university it's now your country yeah exactly and it's the kind of thing that is this huge drive that's so much more than just your own ability and your own um your own success it's it's that being a part of something so much bigger exactly so how uh what what um what did it look like for you then progressing through the ranks of the national team? So then six months after I broke my back, I was uh, here at the MasterCard in Toronto trying out for the under-22 team. And I made it. Um, and then from there, I went to the, the, uh, M- the SO Cup in Germany. Um, and actually, that September, I got my first tryout with the national team um, in 2010. Nice. Yeah, following the Olympics. Yeah. And I didn't make the team, but I made the under-22 team. Uh, and did that, did that not make it, did, did that uh, not making it, did that make you want to work harder? Yeah, definitely. I, every time I had a setback, it only motivated me more. Like, never once was my thought like, oh, okay well I'll, I'll i'll just quit or you know, yeah i was always motivated to do better and to prove someone wrong yeah um so i went yeah so i went to work at school and made the under 22 team and then tried out again the following year in september of 2011 and i made my first four nations team so that was nice. that was really exciting yeah it was in newfoundland um we sold out gold medal game. Nice. So, you know, you can always get that crowd, but that was the first time really playing in front of a sold out crowd wearing the, the hockey. In, in, Canada. Uh, in Canada. Yeah. In Canada. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And we won. That was amazing. And then I, I didn't make worlds until 2012 uh, when it was in Vermont. And I think, it's so it's hard to relate to like I wanted <laughs> I don't even know how to word this you know I sat on the bench for the entire 60 minutes of the world the the world championship game and we we won gold and I wish I could say that I was happy but I wasn't but now that I look back like I really wish that I just embraced the moment of being able to stand on that bench and I think yeah. for younger athletes like that's what they need to do. Like, like just take a second and stop thinking about yourself and look around at where you are and who you're playing yeah. for and, and the opportunity that's ahead of you instead of being pissed and selfish because you're not on the ice. Mm-hmm. And so- but but it, it takes something to admit that, that you, you weren't happy and you were busy probably feeling sorry for yourself at the time. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's part of kind of how we tick as human beings, but B it's that, you know, I I remember leading into the 2014 Olympics, just the, one of the biggest messages that hockey Canada was really trying to get across with the sports psychologists and whatnot was knowing your role. Yeah. Know your role with the team and, and, you know, everybody has a role and, it still contributes to this overall machine that is a team that wins. 
even if it doesn't mean that you are doing what you really, really want to be doing. Yeah. But, but it's, it's tough and it depends on maturity levels. It depends on how much experience somebody has. And especially for the young players, like that's a tough pill to swallow. Definitely. And like, I, I didn't realize it until I stepped back until I, you know, gave up hockey really because it like that happened time and time again. And, um, and I think it happens all the time at mm-hmm. all ages. So I yeah. think that would be one big learning point um, when I look back on my career is just to, to be more thankful for where you are and what, what you're, the opportunity that you're given. But anyway, we won gold and uh, moved on. And then I made the next world championships. We were in Ottawa, which was amazing because we're back in Canada and we're in the final game and the, the crowd's going crazy. It's packed. And uh, unfortunately, we fell short to the U.S. that year in the final. Um, mm-hmm. But it was such an amazing experience. Um, I knew I was being centralized for the Olympics. so ev- Which is a big deal. Yeah, and yeah. everything seemed to be falling in place and all the hard work and everything was, you know, it was paying off. So that's always rewarding when you know all your hard work is going toward good, you know, good time, good time spent. Yeah. So yeah, I moved to Calgary in the August of 2013 and off I was trying out for the Olympics. (laughs) Which is like, it's almost, um, it almost sounds bizarre to hear you say it, you know, like it went at the time. It's almost surreal. Yeah. Because it's such a big deal. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's kind of crazy to, like you said, to say it out loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. The year was, <sighs> I'd love to say it was the best year of my life, but it was probably oh, it's the hell. worst year of my life. <laughs> And nothing is surviving in four years. It's still the worst year of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, okay. Well, tell, tell us what were the, you know, what were the worst things? What were the low points? What were, what was it for you? Um, we had two, two hour practices a day from August to December. Plus yep. we played, I don't know how many 60 games in six months. Um, on top of training before we're playing and it's a grind and then you know injuries and playing through them or sitting out but now you're giving up your spot and yeah so I battled injuries the entire centralized year like we got there like groin, August, groins or hip flexors yeah, or my groin August 1 yeah. we got there and at the end of August, I had a pulled groin. So, mm-hmm. and from there on, I just came back for my groin and then I hyperextended my elbow and, and then my groin. So it was just like, just a mental grind for me the entire time. Yeah. And then, I mean, two days before Christmas, I got cut and they said I was going to be an alternate. So I flew home and had Christmas with my family and everyone was, everyone, I think the hardest part was seeing like your family be so sad and upset and, you know, like they're not disappointed in you. They're just disappointed because the hype the whole year, you know, they're, 
as I'm preparing for the Olympics, so are they, right? They're getting right. their yeah. flights and they're they're booking their hotels and and so I think that that was the the hardest thing. And at that time, for me, it was okay. You need to be the strong one because your family's hurting. Wow. So, so that's the role I took on, <laughs> which is, it's funny, like not funny, but now when I look back, it's, it's crazy that, that I did that. And I don't know how I did it, but I didn't shed a tear the entire time I was home. So uh, I was just going to ask, you? I got to ask you though, Go ahead. Uh, my MO my entire life is if there's a problem or anything emotional, <laughs> I'm going to just stuff it. Yeah. So, so for you, it sounds like you pulled a Paul there and just, yeah, <laughs> I'm not upset about this. No tears. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's absolutely devastating. Yeah. You just described going through, you know, months of hell and training and pain for one thing and then to not get it. When, when did you actually deal with it then? You're for yourself. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I don't think I ever did deal with it. I, I understand that. Yeah. 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 I was gonna yeah. Say, uh... yeah. Like, you know, every time I got cut, it was just like, all right, put a brave face on and yeah. go back to work and don't show anyone like how hurt you are or you have yeah. to be strong. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's a badge of honor that is that almost bites you back at the same time, because then you're in this pattern of dealing with things for the rest of your life yeah. that, that then it's like, okay, well then I just work. And, and I'm, I'm the same way, you know, for different things and different reasons of overcoming different things, but then it's just, okay, well, if I work harder or if I keep myself really busy, or if I focus on these things, then I won't feel how awful that thing felt. Exactly. And I won't truly deal with it, but then you almost find that you're continually running from anything that ever bothers you instead of either confronting it or letting it pass through so that you truly feel like you have dealt with it or overcome it or um, learned from it or, or whatever. But, um, but we get rewarded for that, right? We get rewarded for being the strong one or, um, or not, um, not breaking down or, you know, and then yeah. ultimately, ultimately it comes out in some form or another later on, there's either, there's a buildup, our bodies all have a threshold, our bodies are going to tell us at some point or another via, um, migraines or injuries or chronic fatigue or depression, or our bodies are going to tell us some way or another that, Hey, you know, remember that thing you didn't deal with or yeah. that other thing or that other thing or that other thing you didn't deal with. And then suddenly we break down either physically or we get sick or whatever it is. Yeah. And if we were, if we were supported, I think, or helped, um, or had the tools, I should say, to deal with some of these emotional transitions, then we probably wouldn't be, um, managing other things say two years to 10 years down the road yeah yeah and it's uh now I've been coaching for nine years since I've been out of school and some of the young kids are now off and they're trying out for the national team mm -hmm. and I get calls all the time from them and it's 
you know, they're frustrated because of this and that. And I was just talking to one of the girls. She was 12 when I met her. She had her first national camp and she got hit in practice and had a concussion. And so she mm-hmm. couldn't play any of the games. And so she called me and I said, and I, I said to her, it's okay to cry. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay. Mm-hmm. And she just started bawling. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, like like you said, you know, my, my career, I, I bottled it up and I just put on a brave face. But I, I know that at the end of the day, it affected me long term, like you were saying. So, so that's yeah. why, like, for me, it's so rewarding to be able to give back. And yeah. to have these girls call me and to be able to tell them, like, hey, come here, cry. Because I know you yeah. want to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. like, they put on this brave face and then I, I see myself in their position. And I'm like, they're, they're yeah. just putting on that brave face. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. And, and at the same time, you know, we've got these national programs yeah. and they're there for a reason. They're there to create the best in the sport in the country. And what players don't realize, especially when you're talking about some of your early on coaches versus your university versus national team, it's a different beast. And yeah, I can't tell you how many athletes I've had to say to them because they're complaining about, they might, might be complaining about how they're treated at the, on the national level or things that happened or, or things like that. And one of the things I end up saying is that you are there as a commodity for the team. You, it's, it's not that they don't care. It's just that it's not their job to care about, you know, yeah. whether you have friends in when you have to move across the country to centralize, whether you, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's up to you. And so, you know, I, I spend a bit of time trying to coach people to say, hey, if, if you decide to do this, say it's centralization, say it's, um, you know, whatever, going with a national team or, or trying to make a, a certain team, if they make that decision, it's, it's that player's decision. And if that player chooses to do that, that's what gives them the power and going, okay, I chose this. So then when it's really miserable and it's two a days plus traveling, plus this, plus that, they have to remember that, okay, I chose this. Nobody forced me to do this. I chose this. And then they, then they can take the power back in, in also deciding that if it's not for them, it's not for them. But the problem comes in and that typically that's, that sport has been their life for so many years that if they even consider the option of stepping away, they start to feel like they've let down their family who put so many hours in. It's almost like failure. Oh yeah. 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 And instead of, instead of taking ownership of going, okay, this is my own choice because they're not old enough or mature enough or have enough experience of making their own decisions because one of the prime jobs of an athlete is to be coachable. Yep. And, and so in, in saying, okay, I'm going to do this for me. Well, that just doesn't exist, yep. you know, other than trying to eat right and get the right sleep and, you know, yep. perform as an athlete. So yeah, I, I totally, I totally think that there's, I don't know if there, there needs to be education or something along the way so that athletes start to, um, 
start to ask themselves the question of yeah is this is this still making me happy yeah and I and what makes me happy yeah and for me I definitely went through that like but I never asked myself if I was happy it was just you're so focused on that dream that you get lost and like you said you know quit like just stepping back well that's failure and Mm -hmm. I feel like athletes that do make the national team you know you're there because you don't accept failure Mm -hmm. because you push through all the obstacles that that everyone else couldn't make it through Mm -hmm. so I definitely faced that I call actually uh after I was released from the 2014 the next year I went to September camp for the four nations and then I got my feedback and basically all I could read was you're terrible at hockey you're terrible you should quit you're terrible but it wasn't saying that at all right no it's all the metrics it's all the numbers (laughs) and uh, testing numbers and whatnot and so I called a friend who um had been to the olympics and had won a gold medal and and i said you know like i don't know if if this is what i want to do i i just i don't know anymore and mm-hmm. she was like well why are you doing it and i was like because i want i want an olympic medal i want to go to the olympics mm. like that's my dream and she said yeah. to me do you know where my gold medal is it's in the bottom of my closet mm-hmm. and i'm a successful woman right now not because of that gold medal Mm-hmm. And I think at the time I couldn't, I couldn't be like, yeah, you know, you're right. I'm so unhappy. Like this isn't it. But now when I think back to that conversation, I, I think like, wow, it's so true. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was just so unhappy, but I continued to battle until this past Olympics when I was, when I was released. And I finally said like, I, I that's it. I'm done. I can't. I'm just so mm-hmm. unhappy. So, yeah. yeah. So, tell, so, so tell us about that transition and the realization of where you're at. How did you make your next moves? How did, uh, yeah, so, how did well, life evolve for you then? So I got engaged and heading into the, before they centralized the group, I was on the short list. And I said, like I said to myself, like, all right, if you don't get centralized, like, it's time to move on with your life. Get married, you know, because my husband and I live across the country from each other. And we have since university because he's a hockey player. Mm-hmm. And but when we left university, we were like, OK, like we're we're both going to chase our dreams and we'll have the rest of our lives together. So we knew that. But that never helped any situation. But anyway, I was like, long distance is so hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Worst. We, we've been there. Yeah. And so I was like, all right. So I, you know, I was like, Blake, if I don't get centralized, like if you want to go play in Europe, I'll come with you. Like, let's do this together. So mm-hmm. I got the call and I didn't get centralized. And um, did you feel relieved? <laughs> I couldn't have felt more relieved in my life. Oh my gosh. Isn't that telling? That's so telling. Like I didn't shed a tear. I was like, okay, thanks. And I called, you know, my mom and I called some of my best friends and they were like, are you okay? And I was like, yes. Like I'm, I, and I went and like, I told Blake and 
and Blake was crying for me. And I was like, no, like, this is good. Like, <laughs> I didn't have to quit because yeah. they did it for me. And I, that's what I was waiting for. And that, and that's yeah. authentic, right? That's an authentic, you're not stuffing anything at this point. That's, that's real. real. Yeah. 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 And, and feels like a weight lift. Yeah. Like it just off of your shoulders. And I couldn't believe that this was the feeling I was feeling like my, I knew my career was coming to an end and, and I couldn't have felt better. Yeah. Yeah. So then, then you know, the timing is right. Yeah. So then Blake and I moved off to Slovakia last year and I, I played and I coached on the same team and we lived together for the first time in our lives and oh, we played cool. out of the same rink and I just traveled, traveled anywhere I wanted to go and it was like, it was the most amazing year of my life. Oh, what a great experience. Yeah. That's incredible. And now you guys are back in Canada. I am. <laughs> Uh, oh, Blake yeah, yeah. is playing in Florida. He wasn't quite oh, ready to okay. hang up, and yeah, uh, he's definitely going through the same thing I was going through. But you know, we'll, we'll yeah. let yeah. everyone figures it out in time. And yeah, um, and what kept you from? What made you decide to? Uh, like, I don't know what sequence of events happened for you having coaching opportunities, but what? prompted the decision for you to stay and coach and take those opportunities versus go to Florida? <laughs> um, well, actually, so when I was over in Slovakia, I got the call that, you know, one of the coaches was going to have to step down because of family issues. And they were like, hey, do you want to step in as, as an assistant coach? We're in uh, Germany. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I had been coaching since out of college, Bantam AA and doing tons of skills in private and Mel knew that yeah. and so she called me and so there I was in Germany coaching the under 22 national team and oh, things awesome. kind of just escalated and um, I think it went really well and then they were like hey do you want to assistant coach the under 18 team this year so I did that this August um, like phenomenal experience and then Toronto offered me their head coaching job and I was like wow like I can't turn this down this is what I want to do and and Blake was like if this is what you want to do like you need to do it like don't worry about us living long distance we've done it for years we'll be okay like so yeah you need to go grow yourself and if you want me to quit I'll quit but I would love to go to Florida and I'm like yeah well, I'm like well then you go to Florida and I'll be here and we'll see each other when we see each other and we'll make this work <laughs> It, it works for a while yeah. <laughs> and then you guys make the decision of okay is this working or is it not working yeah. and and when do you make that transition kind of thing so that's amazing congratulations yeah. on your your roles and your positions Thank you. yeah it's pretty exciting and it's kind of crazy how it all unfolded but I like to tell myself that you know everything happens for a reason and and I was given this opportunity and I definitely couldn't turn it away. So, 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 so I have a coaching question for you then. Because you, <laughs> you mentioned earlier how important you believe culture is in the dressing room for success in women's hockey. Yep. So, so what do you do specifically to create that? Um, I think 
like at the at the series level, it's a little bit harder because they're older and they're some of them have jobs and careers. Some of them are trying out for the national team and and, and you've so, played with some of them, correct? Yeah, I have. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I think the biggest thing is just um, no matter where you are in your life or what your goals and your dreams are, you know, we have we all have a goal in mind and and that's to win a Clarkson Cup. And I think just letting them see that, you know, no matter whether you're a national player or not, you're all important to this team and you're, you all play a role in the success of us coming together and winning a Clarkson Cup. And they bond over that. And I, I think at this level, it's a little bit easier because, because they are adults. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point of me coaching some of the players I've played with, yeah, it's kind of funny. And that was definitely a worry of the GM when she did hire me. But they're so respectful. And I couldn't be more happy than I am right now coaching them. Like, I say something and they listen and they, you know, but I also, I'm not there to dictate. Like, I draw mm-hmm. practices and I just, and I tell them like, you know what, I'm here and I, and I make the practices and I'm here to try and help you get better in whatever way I can, whether that's on ice or off ice, I want us to be successful because in order for us to be successful on the ice, we all have to be happy and successful off the ice. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's, you know, them missing practice or going away for the weekend, like you have to adapt to their, their lives because ultimately we're not making millions Mm -hmm. and so I think that they really they respect that approach and I think as a player I was well respected so now that I'm in that coaching role it's kind of like okay well I respected her as a player so why wouldn't I respect her as a coach right Right. well it, it also speaks to how you treat them too to gain those those athletes respect um you're treating them with respect and and it's um, and then it speaks to who you are as a coach. The fact that they they you've earned their respect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speak a little bit to. Uh, well, one thing that I've noticed in this is specific to women's hockey versus some of the other competitive or professional female sports. But um, like if I'm thinking volleyball, there are some pretty big women's contracts in volleyball professional volleyball or soccer you know it's a bit of a different beast too but when it comes to women's hockey it's just not as as large worldwide as some of the other um, women's professional sports so what I find is that when they keep playing at the higher levels there's truly a love for the sport because I know I've seen some men's professional players who, you know, they might keep going, but the, but they don't love it as much as they used to. And it's about the money or about the contract that they can get, or they keep playing how many years when they've, they've lost the, their heart for the, the game. And, you know, so what, what is that like um, for you as a coach, knowing that, you know, the pay is just not, it's not there in, in women's hockey yet. Yeah. Yet is the key word uh-huh. it's coming. Um, yeah, I think it's incredible just to see the passion that, that all these ladies have for the game. You know, 
I get to the rink sometimes super early and there they are up in the gym working out or they're just there spending time together. Like they just want to play hockey and mm-hmm. it, it, you can see it, you know, whether it's on the ice and we're having fun on the ice, laughing in practice, but, but at the same time we're working hard and you know, they want to win and they, they love being around each other and they just love being at the rink. So it's, it's pretty special to be a part of. That's amazing. Um, Courtney, I'm going to finish off here with a few quick questions just so people can get to know you a little bit better and, uh, and then we'll wrap up. Um, what is one, uh, really small, maybe action that has had a big impact on your sport or life or relationships, maybe a little habit or a little thing that you do. What's something little that's had a big impact? (laughs) Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I think just every time I stepped on the ice for practice, I enjoyed it. Like I really enjoyed being with my friends who are family. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a big thing that kept my career going as much as how much I was unhappy, you know, being happy with the people I was surrounded by kept going. Yeah. I've heard that over and over in this, in this interview, just how much you love the people you're around. Um, what, uh, what's your favorite food or dessert? My favorite food is craft dinner. No way. <laughs> do, you, do you put ketchup on it? Do you put ketchup Sometimes. on it? Sometimes. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> and dessert? I'm not a big dessert person, but, you know, it's fall. I do love pumpkin spice. So I would say like a pumpkin spice scone or a tart. Nice. And what about favorite movie? Definitely The Mighty Ducks. All three of them. (laughs) Like to this day, I can still recite all three movies. (laughs) Nice. At least it wasn't slap shot. Okay. Um, (laughs) And... Uh, you're you're not a player anymore. Are you still working out? I am. Yep. I actually got a membership to the gym, and I'm still trying to stay active. And what are your favorite types of workouts? Uh, I like circuit training. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. And do you have a favorite favorite book? Um, no, I don't. I'm not a big reader. What do you have as a hobby that's uh, that's different outside of your sport? You know what? See? To be honest, See, this I'm still is hard. To find it. <laughs> I know yeah. this is the trouble. Because with now that I'm a coach, I'm like obsessed with hockey. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And do you have a tip for you know now you're in this such a special role as a coach, and coaches are these mentors that are incredible for young athletes. So do you have? And you've been the athlete as well. Um, do you have a tip to young uh, athletes, young upcomers in your sport? I think if you have a question or a concern or you're not happy, like just talk to your coach, ask for a meeting because they're humans too. And if you're open with them, they're going to be open with you. So don't be scared to, to reach out to your coaches and ask for help. That's fantastic. Well, on that note, Thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate you sharing your story and we know that 
it'll make a difference for other people. So we really appreciate having you on. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. To get more support in living your best life, find us in our free Facebook community, Empowered Top Performers. We're on Instagram at Paul Durden and at Empower Conditioning. Please share this podcast and rate us. A five-star review would mean the world to us. That is how we connect with and support more people to excel in sport and life. Take what you learned today and try it. Progress is perfection.